Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for his purpose. Enjoy the message. I thought today I would just give you my journey walking out of fear. I had very distinct things that have happened to me. Actually, over the last 40, well, I'd say probably 45 years, and Cindy, it's been 39 years in January, but it's all right. (laughs) I know, but we're going to be young until the day we die at a very old age. And guess what? The body of Christ needs mothers. Let me tell you, I minister all the time and we have a motherless generation. And so I don't think that we will ever be too old to mother the young people. And it's such an honor to do that. So I'm just going to tell you five stories. And if you've been with me a long time, you've heard most of them, but they're my stories. And these are the things that impacted me in walking out of a mindset of fear. I grew up in a fear-based environment. I had so much fear that I went to bed in fear every night. If you've heard my testimony at all before my father was born again, and I do want to qualify and say that after he was born again, he was the nicest, sweetest, kindest Southern gentleman you've ever met in your entire life and became one of my very dearest friends. Prior to that, he was a very angry, troubled man, and he had a very, very bad temper. And I suffered tremendous punishment for 20 years. When I was 18 years old, two days after I turned 18, I got on an airplane. We lived in Wiesbaden, Germany, flew back to the United States, and never lived at home again. And that was perfectly fine with me because I spent 18 years just wanting to get out of the house. And I finally did. During that time, fear was deeply embedded in my heart. And so the Lord used some very pivotal things, testimonies that I'm going to share with you for the next few minutes to drive that fear out of my heart. But it wasn't until this summer that I had such a tremendous thing happen to me that it permanently shut the door. Now, I want to qualify this by saying to you, and I want you to listen carefully to me. God gave us emotions for a reason. It's not a sin to feel fear. It's not a sin to feel shame. It's not a sin to feel guilty. It's not a sin to feel rejected. But what those things are is check your engine light. When those things arise in you and things that are similar, it means check your engine. It's the Lord alerting you that something is out of alignment. And that's when you go inward to the Holy Spirit of God, who is our teacher, our guide, who transmits the will of the Father to us and who guides us into all truth. So the next time you feel the force of fear, and it is a force, You've heard over and over again, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's a spiritual force. When you feel that force come at you, it's time to say, okay, Lord, what's going on here? And I'm going to actually tell you what's going on in a few minutes. 
So I'm going to go through five stories and culminate with what permanently changed my heart. Now, I also want to qualify by saying, many of you will leave this wonderful event and you will say, Chosen changed my life. I want you to say that to me next year at Chosen. And here's why. You got to walk it out. You can't just take these things. Amber can't just take what God has done with her when, he, when her husband specifically came to her and said, throw away the devotionals. We're going to open the book. She had, and he had to make a choice to do that and to walk it out. You have got to walk out what you've heard from every anointed speaker. The anointing of God will destroy the yoke of fear on your life and lift the burden that fear causes if you walk it out, if you do it, if you get in the Word of God and make it your guidepost, your map, your navigation system. Nobody knows how to get anywhere anymore without your GPS. He is our GPS. The Bible says your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So, first story, and these are not in chronological order because some of them go back over 40 years. On January 13th of 2013, so we're coming on 10 years, my father had a fatal fall. I'm not going to go into the details. It was brutal. It was gruesome, to say the least. I witnessed the aftermath with my own eyes, and it was very difficult. Less than 36 hours later, I walked on this platform to start a series. Of course, I did not know my father would have departed and moved to heaven. But I taught a series, and I called it Lions and Tigers and Bears, Dissolving Fear at the Root. You remember the story, don't you? The scarecrow wanted a brain so he could be smart. The tin man wanted a heart so he could feel and love. And what did the lion, the king of the forest, want? courage. Cindy talked about how all the chosens have built, and they have, but was it two years ago that we had courageous? Yes. yes. Because it's courage that has brought us to fearlessness. And he wanted, a, a, he wanted to be courageous. And what did the wizard tell him? I can't give you what's already in you. It's already in you to be fearless. But here's the point. Little did I know that I was going to be teaching dissolving fear at the root because the root of fear is the fear of death. Anybody in here afraid of flying? You're not afraid of flying. You're afraid of dying. You're not afraid of a rattlesnake. You're afraid of the poison. All fear, all fear. Roots in the fear of death. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore these children share in flesh and blood and the physical nature of human beings, he himself, Jesus, in a similar manner partook of the same nature, that by going through death, he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had the power of death. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 
and that he might deliver and completely set free all of those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives. Do you see it? It's the haunting fear of death that allows the devil to hold us in bondage. And I had to face, I mean, the closest person to me that has ever passed to this point was my dad. I had to face that fear. And you know what happened? What happened is heaven became so real to me. Right, Amber? Heaven became not a place of fear and scariness, but a place of joy and celebration and something that we look forward to, not something that we dread. Jesus delivered us from the haunting fear of death. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless multitudes of angels in festal gathering, and to the church of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven, and to the God who is judge of all. And here you go. You have come to the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven who have been made perfect. I have read so many testimonies of people that have gone to heaven and God sent them back for whatever divine reason. You know, we have to learn to accept the mysteries, right? There are things we will not understand on this earth. But when he sent them back, all of them testified that the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in heaven can see celebrations on the earth. So have lots of them. They can't see you mourning. They can't see your trials. They can't see your suffering. Why? There are no tears in heaven. But he can see your joy. They can see your laughter. They can see your celebrations. They can see the weddings. They can see chosen. It's a wonderful thing. The Bible says you have come to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in heaven. The second thing, a very dear friend of mine, I met her 39 years ago, and she was abducted by a serial killer rapist who was on the FBI most wanted list for killing over and raping over 20 women. You can Google him when you're not in here, Stephen Peter Moran, you'll see him. He held her captivity in her suburban for 10 hours. She had spent three hours in prayer that morning. She witnessed to him those entire 10 hours. At the end of the day, he pulled her suburban over to the side of the road. He threw his hands up and he said, Jesus, forgive me for all the bad things I've done. And he began to uncontrollably sob. And he said, can I just put my head on your shoulder? And he began to yell, it's gone, it's gone. And she's oblivious. What's gone, Stephen? And he said, the hate, it's gone. His mother was a blue-eyed blonde who prostituted herself in front of him for years. He hated blue-eyed blondes. And every woman that he murdered was a blue-eyed blonde. And my friend is a blue-eyed blonde. He released her. He was captured that day, put in prison, witnessed to all of the inmates, was given capital punishment, and right before he was executed, she went to see him. 
And he looked at her and he said, do you know why I didn't kill you? And she said, uh, because the Lord protected me. And he said, no, I didn't kill you because you had no fear. Every other woman had so much fear that she allowed me to do whatever I wanted, but you had none and I couldn't touch you. Because fear is a magnet and it will attract to you what you fear. Take heed to everything you have heard this day. Take the scriptures. Take the word of God. Are we going to have any, are we going to have CDs or anything available? It'll all be on podcast. On the Chosen Essay podcast, go back, write down the word of God, meditate in the word of God, get it in you like my friend did. So fear, the spirit of fear will have no power over you. Cindy said this whole conference is based on Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, why? There is nothing to fear. For I am with you. Do not look around in terror and be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. I will help you. I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of rightness and justice. Philippians 1.28. Here you go. Do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof, and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. Do you understand when you refuse to be intimidated, when you demand to be fearless even when you feel it? It is a sure sign to your adversaries. It is a sign to your sickness and disease. It is a sign to your lack and shortage. It is a sign to your broken relationships. It is a sign to your rejection, your hurt, and your pain. It is a sign to your adversaries, and they have to flee from you. In the name of Jesus. The third thing that happened to me was actually somebody that I've had personal contact with now. They're in international ministry, and her daughter years ago got a call that, that the school, an outbreak of a very rare form of meningitis had broken out. And that night, her daughter contracted it. They took her to the hospital. She was limp. The mom and dad went in to meet with the doctors, and the doctor said she probably will not live but we're going to give her an extremely strong antibiotic and it will cause her to be deaf and blind or and or blind. She went out to the family in the waiting room and with gritted teeth, this mama looked at her family and she said, I refuse to fear. Do you think she felt fear? Of course she did. But she took a stand and she said, I refuse to fear. In John 14, 1, in the Passion, Jesus said, don't worry or surrender to your fear. When you refuse to fear, you are refusing to surrender to the very thing that is causing the fear. The fourth thing was a dear friend of mine. I used to say, when I go to heaven, I want to look just like you. I had not seen her in 40 years, and recently I met up with her. She lives in a different city. She's been to 48 states. But when we were 26 years old, this beautiful woman was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. My husband and I went to the hospital with her husband to pray for her. Her brother-in-law is an anesthesiologist. He was in the waiting room. He said it was the ugliest tumor he'd ever seen. He said it literally had black 
tentacles going out from it. We prayed, we took authority, we loosed, we bound, we stomped, we yelled. We did, you know, a war dance. And when we were finished, in a very soft and sweet voice, with a single tear running down her cheek, she said these words I'll never forget. Father, I don't know why this is happening to me, but I know that you love me. And you know what I thought? I thought, wow, you have ovarian cancer. How can you know that he loves you? That's what I thought. Three days later, she was divinely healed and went on to an international ministry and even had another baby. You know why? She wasn't afraid of death. My friend that was abducted was not afraid of death. And my daddy, he always said to me, honey, he was from North Carolina, I just want to be with Jesus. And now he is. The fifth thing, my spiritual father said these words, God loves me and I am not afraid. And he said, unless you've said it 500 times, you don't believe it. So I got out a pad of paper and I went around my house and 500 times I would mark it off with emphasis on different words. God loves me and I am not afraid. God loves me and I am not afraid. God loves me and I am not afraid. 500 times. And I'm sure I've said it thousands of times. I did a series. I called it God loves me and I'm not afraid. At that time, we had a lovely woman in our church named Shirley Weaver. She was a friend to Cindy and I. She came to me. They had told her she was terminal. She had uh, cancer and was told there's nothing else they could do. And she came up to the pulpit. She was glowing. She said, Sandy, I just want to tell you something. And she looked me in the eye and she said, God loves me and I am not afraid. And I said, Shirley, praise the Lord, that's great. She said, no, you don't understand. God loves me and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die anymore because God loves me. When she was in her final days, Cindy and I were going to go say goodbye temporarily until we would see her again in heaven. And she and I were a mess. We took flowers, we got flowers, we walked to the door holding hands, we were quivering. We, I mean, we were afraid, but whatever. <laughs> and, and we walked in. And she came out and she had on a beautiful night set. She was glowing, right? She had on makeup. She was just so happy, filled with joy. She showed us her garden. We had a lovely visit. Cindy and I left and looked at each other and said, what just happened? <laughs> and three days later, she moved to heaven. She knew God loved her. She wasn't afraid. These things had a very permanent mark on my life. 1 John 4, 16 says, And we know, understand, recognize, and are conscious of by observation and by experience, and we believe, adhere to, and put our faith in and rely on the love God cherishes for us. God is love. And he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. Notice, we know and we believe. We don't just believe, we know. We don't just know, we believe the love God cherishes for us. And these people that I've shared with you knew and believed and know and believe. This summer, the Holy Spirit ministered something to me 
that I never ever realized that I was deficient in. He revealed to me these words, no longer call yourself a warrior, call yourself a daughter. Warriors stay on the battleground, but daughters sit on the higher ground. Why was that hard for me? I knew in my head I was a daughter, but daughter to me had a horrible connotation. Daughter to me meant punishment. Daughter to me meant you were going to get beaten if you didn't do it right. Daughter to me meant bad things were going to be said to me and about me. Daughter to me meant I wasn't enough. Daughter to me meant I was ugly and that I was a reject. Why would I want to be a daughter? I have three daughters. I poured my life into them. I was determined that they would have what I didn't have. And the Holy Spirit is telling me, don't call yourself a warrior. Now, there are times we have to be warriors. But listen to me and listen carefully. We are not supposed to have one battle after another. Even soldiers get a break, people. People come to me, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil's attacking me. Well, you know why? You're giving him power. Ephesians 2, 6. And he raised us up together with him and he made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with Christ in the heavenly sphere by a virtue of our being in Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. Joint seating with Christ. Joint seating in the heavenly sphere. Do you live on the battleground or do you live on the higher ground? And when the Holy Spirit said, call yourself a daughter, I had to take that step of faith. And here's why. 1 John 4, 18 there is no fear in love, dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love and has not grown into love's complete perfection. And I realized that I had lived my life and I didn't want to be called a daughter because I feared punishment. Because that's what daughter meant to me. But now it doesn't. Now it means that I am loved. I am cherished. You know that Jesus is crazy about you. He shed his blood for you. He laid down his life for you. He redeemed you from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why? Whom the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Romans 8, 15 and 17. The spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship. Let's say daughterhood. There's no such thing as daughtership. I looked. 
in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. And if we are his daughters, we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. To me, daughter meant punishment, but now daughter means a sharer a partaker of his glory. I've come from a slave mentality to a daughter mentality. I think that if you come away with one thing during this event, I try to come away every, every chosen conference with just one thing that I'm really going to walk out. Now, I mean, you can come away with 20 things, but the more important thing is that you do the one thing. And last year, my one thing actually came through Cindy. She was talking about the woman with the, that was bent over double for 18 years. And, and I, you know what? This is going to be in a little bit. I don't know if you can flip the order, but it, actually, I want to do Luke 13. I told you I was going to mess you up, guys. But Luke 13, 12, and 16. Can you put that on the screen, or do you need to go in order? Ah, there you go. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and he said to her, Woman, you are released from your infirmity. And ought not, when he got criticized, Jesus got criticized for healing, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be loosed and freed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when Cindy shared that, with the passion only Cindy Godwin has, she said, Jesus called her daughter. And I didn't know at that time that Jesus was planting the seed of daughterhood in me. And I carried it and I gestated it for months and then gave birth. Matthew 9, 22, and this is an unusual translation. It's called the Weist translation. I really like it. Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, cheerful courage, daughter, be having it constantly. Your faith has saved you and the cure is permanent. No relapse into your former condition. And the woman was restored to health at that hour. Now, here's what I love about that woman bent over double and the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus did not name them. He just called them daughter. That means you and I get it. Hallelujah. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. I'm going to close. I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment. But Isaiah 8, 11 through 14, the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me, and he warned and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy or hard or holy the things that no, excuse me, neither be in fear of what they fear, nor make others afraid and dread. And that's what we're doing in the country, right? We're hearing of all the chaos and all the fearsome, all the fear-mongering. And then we go and we go, oh, can you believe it? And oh, oh, whoa, what are we doing? We are just speaking fear. I had a, I'm up late last night having a conversation with somebody because they'd gotten bad news about the nation. I said, you know what? I'm just going to tell you something right now. God is not mocked. And whatever's wrong, he's going to make right. Jesus is Lord. The government's on his shoulder, and I don't worry about it. And I don't. I pray, but I don't worry about it. 
The Lord of hosts, regard him as holy and honor his holy name by regarding him as your only hope of safety. And let him be your fear and let him be your dread, lest you offend him by your fear of man and distrust of him. And he shall be a sanctuary, a sacred and an indestructible asylum to those who reverently fear and trust in him. Now, I want to ask you something. You might be like my beautiful granddaughter who's here today. She has a very loving, nurturing father who adores her. She's a very well-adjusted, beautiful 20-year-old. Or you, be, you might be like I was. You might have not been fathered well. But the Holy Spirit is here today to bestow on you from the inside out the love of a very loving God. Don't you think somebody like Amber could have turned her back on God? Don't you think somebody like Catherine could have said, why did you let this happen to me? But instead, they've turned it into a message and a testimony of the goodness of God. If you were not fathered well and you have a fear of punishment, the Lord is going to reverse that for you today. I want you just to stand up unashamedly where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want you to stand up. If you really want the fear of punishment driven from your life and stay standing right where you are. There's no shame in this place. There's only love. There's no criticism. There's no finger pointing. This is your opportunity to receive the love of a gracious and good father. Those of you who were fathered well, look at the women who are standing. And I want you to wrap your arms around them and speak the love of God upon them. While I pray, Father, I ask you to do for these beautiful women what you did for me. And help them to know themselves as your daughter. And to realize that one of the most beautiful words in the entire universe is to hear you say, daughter. Impart the strength and the power of the love of the Father upon them. And I ask you that it will never be snatched from them. And for those who know you and who know that love in the best and deepest and most beautiful way, oh, Father, let it continue that when fear comes and knocks at the door of their heart, they will sit in the higher ground and not the battleground. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting ChosenEssay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.